Everybody, we're back with another scaring is sharing. It's the place where we share our scares with each other and you. What is that? I, I don't know. <laughs> it's my character today. He's real chill and like, what's up? What's up, guys? Want to watch some scary movies? <laughs> Let's uh, get some popcorn and some milk duds. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's me, Jeremy Rusk, the original Sasquatch Slim. I don't know who I'm here with. Uh, you're here with <laughs> the flame and scream queen, Brandy Joe Planback. Oh, you tricked me with that voice. I know. Uh, I'm a man of mystery. That's that's the uh, those are those acting skills coming into that's play. That's true. Do you know people are always like like when there's something going on, like a, a presentation at work or something, and I'm like I'm so nervous, and people are like you're an actor, and I'm like I can do other people, but when I have to be me, it's hard. Yeah, it's also uh, like you know I, I've been in bands, I've played music live in front of people, and it's like stage fright never really goes away i found like it's always there uh performing in front of people it's just how well you mitigate it i think yeah you harness it and then you ride it like a bull in eight seconds that's pretty much it <laughs> how are you jeremy doing well doing well um yeah <laughs> I'm so glad to hear it. It's really it. I'm sick of this heat. That's for sure. Oh my god, today is so hot. I went. There's um a group here in Detroit called Motor City Bears, and it's just like what it sounds. And they uh -huh. have a like a speedo car wash every year. So I went to go get my my car washed this morning by a bunch of bears, and one uh -huh. of them like lifted up his shirt and rubbed his like furry belly against my window. I'm like, um, I'm not paying extra for that. <laughs> <laughs> The money was all going to Affirmations and Ruth Ellis House, which mm -hmm. Affirmations is our new home here. It's an LGBTQ center. And Ruth Ellis House is like a, a youth home, at, you know, for not necessarily just runaway, but like gay, trans, bisexual youth who, you know, need a place to stay, need clothing, need food. Um, mm -hmm. They're really cool organizations. So, so you know, fantastic. I went and I supported. And fantastic. I got to like look at some big hairy guys. There you go. <laughs> So I have a, a a bit of horror news that kind of caught me off guard. Oh. So first of all, in talking about Don't Breathe, I think I was saying Jane Levy, and I'm pretty sure now from all the stuff I've been watching, it's Jane Levy. So okay. I want to correction corner myself there. Have mm -hmm. you heard this interesting tidbit between her and Betty Alvarez, Fede? Not at all. So he had this interview where he's like, they asked her, asked like why she didn't like return for the sequel. And he's like, oh, she's amazing. I have a lot of respect for her. I think she gives 200%, um, but these movies are really demanding in the way they do them. So I wouldn't have done that to her. And she like clapped back, as they say, on Twitter. Ooh. And she was like, I don't want to really revisit this, but um, it's funny to have people choosing the best decision for me without asking what I think or want. And she's like, I don't want to do Don't Breathe 2 anyway. Not because I'm too committed of an actor. And then she said, um, maybe we should be asking why these films are made in such a way that their directors are averse to having committed actors participate. She was pissed. Okay, so the truth is they just didn't even ask her. Correct. I would think, yeah. It's true, but then I read another article because I went down sort of a rabbit hole mm -hmm. that he talked about when they made Don't Breathe that he really like pushed her to the limit and he, he said that he would his directing style is to like tell the actors one thing is going to happen and then have something completely different happen mm. and like he said oh um evil dead was really demanding in the way that like people you know she had to be covered in blood the whole time and there was a lot of makeup effects but he's like but don't breathe was like really emotionally difficult for her because of how much like i fucked with her Mm -hmm. And he was like, that's how I like to work with my actors. And, you know, that's not always good. That reminds me of like William Friedkin back in The Exorcist when he like shot the gun to get like the right like reaction and pulled yeah. people really hard to like get that authentic look. And it's I feel like it's a, a, a directing style of the past and not something that should be done. Absolutely. Today. 
that feels like a relic of the, and I guess it still happens because I hear stories like this. It's a relic of the whole auteur like era of filmmaking where the director is dictator of the whole thing and is God and does whatever he wants. And often that was just the, your run of the mill abuses you hear about, uh, you know, often straight white men <laughs> taking when they're in a power position of just treating everyone like objects and crap and doing what they yeah. want. But I'm yeah, prior to hearing this, like a few days ago, I was all excited for hopefully their next venture together since Evil Dead and Don't Breathe are so good. Not happening. And it's definitely not happening. So it's like Fede, don't be a dick director. Yeah. Uh, apparently uh, you might need to take a step back and rethink your directing style because really it should be a collaboration. I think that's the best method is you're a team with all your actors and they should be in the know about what's happening. A hundred percent. And, you know, I could kind of like the whole idea that or the example he gave of like telling someone an actor's going to come from the right and they come from the left. That sounds somewhat harmless. But if that's the example they give, I feel like there's probably a lot more. She's probably got more stories about like, yeah, uh, you know, I, I often you find when you get the real nitty gritty of stories like that, you find out it was, oh, I put them in a position where they thought they were in real physical danger like when whatever happened happened, like they thought something had gone wrong or what. And like, that's not cool to scare people like that. So yeah, the actual end of that interview of his, where he talked about his sort of directing style, he's like, you get great reactions out of them. Then they just scream at you, but that doesn't matter. It's mm -hmm. <laughs> like, Oh, okay. So that sounds like a dick move. Yeah. So I lost some respect and also don't breathe too sucks. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so Jane, you dodged a bullet. Mm -hmm. I'm glad she wasn't in it. Yeah, for sure. What else has been going on in your week in your life? Well, I got a little bit more uh, some horror news to throw on, too. Again, I'm going to make everybody think we're still Friday the 13th podcast. <laughs> so I want to revisit uh, last episode, we talked about that blurb from Corey Feldman. Yes. Uh, and I read deeper on the internet, and I'm pretty sure that's just Corey Feldman being Corey Feldman, because he oh. fucking talks a lot in the news and says, like, I heard from a guy, and then says something and nothing comes of it. Um, okay. Because I looked into it, and it's literally, he's the only one saying that, and he's like, a lawyer friend of mine told me that they're going to wrap it up soon. So who knows if that's just hearsay, because the... Uh, article I found was like the court has not revealed a decision yet. They're still like deliberating over what's going on. And I also clarified for myself, like what the big issue is. Uh, and again, it was kind of where I got to where Victor Miller, the original screenwriter is saying that Friday the 13th belongs to him because of the certain copyright act that uh, from, the, I guess from the seventies that after a certain period of time, the copyright of something reverts to the original like creator, writer, whatever. So he was making okay. a claim to owning Friday the 13th. Uh, and what's his name? Cunningham, Sean S. Cunningham, said it, the producer. Yes. He countered saying that you were an employee of my film studio when you wrote it. So you didn't have any ownership because you were working for me. Therefore, the studio owns it. And that's the big fight that's happening. Uh, and then they got into all the nitty gritty of what goes where and who gets what. Um, but I did see recently Kane Hodder, uh, you know, famously the man that has played Jason the most number of times on film. The most famous. Uh, and the most famous Jason. And talk uh, about a daddy. Yeah, a little bit, isn't he? He was yeah. at a uh, uh, horror convention a couple weeks ago. Uh, doing a panel uh, and somebody asked about that and he said that from what he knows it's doubtful it's going to be resolved soon what he's been hearing okay so this is probably going to take years still before it's figured out which he says is a shame because he personally really wants there to be a friday the 13th part 13 which is what the next movie would be and he's like how do you just stop at 12 with these like there has to be one more movie at least so i mean it would be the 13th film mm-hmm but that doesn't necessarily mean it's part 13. Well, yeah, no. Because the remake, I wouldn't consider canon. I mean, it is in the, I don't know exactly, I guess, the definition of canon, but it's not like in the lineup, it's something of its own, right? Yeah, surely. I mean, just in the same way that like the first eight string together as like a pretty solid continuity. 
uh, and then goes to hell and Jason X, who the fuck knows how those fit in? Because when you watch those, those are very like standalone feeling. Like, I don't know, I guess they're sequels, but they really take some liberties and do some weird stuff. Uh, and then you have Freddy versus Jason, which is another thing just like floating out in orbit. Like, where does that fit in anywhere? And then the okay. remake. So it's already been kind of loose, I think, but yeah, but make well, a 13th one, please. Well, I'm sorry for feeding you fake news. Yeah, who knows? Maybe Corey Feldman is right. Maybe not. But there's just nothing out there that verifies what he's saying other than himself. So, yeah. Um, and poor Corey. Poor and Corey. also, I missed, uh, uh, while I was on vacation, and when I came back, I forgot to mention, horror news, the Toxic Avenger remake has wrapped filming. Yes. So it's getting closer. They're going into post-production on it. So hopefully we're, we're going to be seeing that thing. It sounds like sooner rather than later, which is awesome. I was watching Sleepaway Camp 3 yesterday, and it is so much better than the second one. And just the way oh. that it is horrible. Okay. Like it just, the way it starts off the bat, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be a treat. And it was amazing. Teenage Wasteland, right? Isn't that what that yes. one's called? Yep, okay. There was a guy in it, Michael J. Pollard. Are you familiar with him? Yes. I was looking, and he had a bunch of credits in that cartoon of the Toxic Avenger. Oh, cool. The name sounds familiar, but I can't picture the guy. Uh, but I know that name. I know he's definitely got to be a character actor that's in like a bunch of shit. Yeah, he definitely comes across like that. Like, I was like, oh, man, this guy seems so familiar. I didn't actually recognize much of his credits, but but I remember seeing numerous times when I was going through his credits, things like the Toxic... I can't remember what it was. What was the Toxic Avenger cartoon called? Uh, toxic Crusaders. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. I kept seeing that. So that seemed kind of fun. But yeah, I highly recommend that. I it's a it's a, a gay old time. There's lots of you know derogatory slurs because it's like the mid 80s mm. um or the late 80s that are it's like ooh like just ah oh mm -hmm. <laughs> there's a lot of that. Yeah, and some movies like really leaned into that when you revisit uh, some of the 80s stuff where you're like, wow, they went all in on just being offensive with this material here. I don't know that it makes me feel better when it's not just one, when it's not just a gay person being called a fag, but like it, they, they dole it out all, all over the place. I think they're more trying to make a point, but who knows? What do I know? Yeah, who knows? It's you watch what you want to watch, guys, if you're okay with it. But and if you're not, that's fine, too. Yeah. You know what? Just don't be an asshole. Yeah. And you know what I have to say, and I don't know, I for some reason in the last episode we said rest in power twice. Mm -hmm. When you think of that, what do you think of? I mean, like rest in peace, but rest in I don't know. Well, I guess it's predominantly used in Black and LGBT communities. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know it either. For some reason, when I said it, like sort of repeating you, I was like, I wonder if that's not reserved for. That sounds kind of wrong. Yeah. But if yeah. it's like for a particular community. Like I thought that in my mind after I hmm. heard it come out of my mouth, I was like, is that a, a, a phrase for like hmm. black activists or something? So I Googled it and it said mainly used. Not to say we can't use it. Sure. But I just didn't know that. And so I'm just going to say it. I'm saying hmm. it here that um, it's something I learned. I learned that too right now. I've only just, I've just seen it repeated as, you know, all over the place for and usually. Anyone for, else with knows. reverence. So yeah, sure. if you can clarify. Yeah. Like, I, I just didn't want to be disrespectful and have people being like, um, you're yeah. not using that correctly. And who knows? Yep. I, Where I, you're I, like, I don't that's, know. That's a white guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't use that. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I didn't know that. So speaking of horror conventions, you mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. I really want to go to the Motor City Legacy, which mm -hmm. I think is a new one. Yeah, I've never that heard doesn't, of it before. I only, the only one I'm familiar with in the area is Motor City Nightmares. Yes, I've heard of that. Yeah, and I've been to that. That's the only one I'm familiar with. So they just secured Mark Patton, and they also have the gal who gets hung up by the meat hook in Texas Chainsaw. Mm -hmm. One and Grandpa. So Terry McMinn and John Dugan were also announced as being guests there. So, but the Mark Patton thing really solidified my wanting to go. Mm -hmm. Plus, I've always just wanted to go to one. 
Um, but back in the day, like, especially like in my like using days, like I would dig in couches to find quarters to buy smokes. So like, I'm excited now I could go to these conventions and buy cool horror stuff because I actually don't waste all my money on drugs now. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so that makes me super excited. I, cause I see these things like in scream queen, the nightmare on Elm street documentary, like they're at these conventions and I'm like, Oh my God. So you just get to walk around and like buy cool horror things like bags and dolls and stickers and shit like that sounds so awesome Mm -hmm. yeah i've been to mostly comic book conventions but uh, i have done motor city nightmares and that's that's fun um i bought a uh i remember that's where i got my toxic avenger i have a toxic avenger blu-ray i think it's of part four that i bought from lloyd kaufman himself because he was there at the uh at that convention and he signed it for free it was great oh what a guy Yep. And I was looking, they have like a, a, a film festival too, as a part of it. I don't know if that's all horror conventions if they screen films. They often do. Yeah. Okay. Cause I'm all yeah. down for that. Like there's like a made mm-hmm. in Michigan category that isn't up for the prizes and it's like free to submit and stuff. So we still have like another, like um, two months to make our film to Yeah. We submit. could make something. Maybe we could do our sweeted film finally. And throw yeah. It let's yeah. do it. Yeah. That'd be fun. <laughs> Awesome. So yeah, we're going to go to that. I'm just putting it out there. I really want to go. And when is that again? It is March 18th through the 20th at the Sheraton Detroit Metro Airport in Romulus. Cool. Yeah. So I want to go. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's meet meet Mark Patton. Yes. I would love that. Get our Jesse shirts. Yeah. And tell him about our podcast. Please be on it. Please. Please be on it. (laughs) You know what else I've been obsessed with this last week is Dead Meat, the YouTube channel. Mm, Are you familiar? Yes. With James A. Janice. He's in like the In Search of Darkness documentaries and he's a a Detroit native and he is. I didn't know that. So fucking dreamy. I love him. And he does these things called The Kill Count. And he also has one called They Speak or They Talk where he does sort of like dubbing over like a 15 minute chunk of the movie, like he'll splice it up. And especially the ones I've watched have always had like a masked killer. So he like does the voice of like the killer Uh and it's like so fucking funny. And then the, the, the kill counts are great because he gives lots of, I don't, I've, he has so many of them. Like it's so fun to discover it now because there's just like this long ass library of films and he's constantly churning them out. Is he the one in In Search, of, which I did, I finished the first In Search of Darkness a little while ago, so I oh. finally got through all of it. But like, is he the one that every time he talks about the movie, he's like, you know, he's like, the stuff from 1998 or 1988 features blah, 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 blah. Like he gets really like, he sounds like a talking TV guide. Is he that one? He might be. Yeah, because I was like, I always, like him. I always laughed every time he was on screen because he always does a synopsis of the movie like off the top of his head that sounds like like a TV guide come to life. Like If he was the hottest one in In Search of Darkness, yeah, he was then like it was him. Youngish guy compared to at least yeah. like everybody else. Yeah, yeah that, that's him. He's the one that he oh. made me laugh every time because he was so like dorky. <laughs> Yep, he's a thirst trap and I love him. And I want to like I mean his his channel is huge, but yeah. I'm like I want to like get in that like, hey, we're from Detroit. Come and talk on our podcast. Hey, please talk to us. I've seen a lot of his kill counts. I like those. So they're so funny. And I just love them because they also give all these factoids. Like they're really like and like I said, I don't know if they always were like that. I haven't gone back very far. Mm-hmm. I'm just like as I'm going through, I'm like, oh, I want to watch this one and this one and this one. And he'll mm-hmm. do fun things like do all of the carries, which made me want to watch the rage carry to or carry to the rage, the rage carry to whatever it is. Yeah. Um, Cause he does that. And he's like, I kind of have a soft spot in my heart for this movie. And I was like, Oh, I think I do too. Cause I watched it when it came out and it is so like, just takes you back to the nineties, like Ooh. the oldest brother from home improvements in it. And sure. Mina Suvari. It just takes you back. Yeah. Uh, speaking of too, the going back to the nineties, oh. uh, over the last couple of days, I managed to watch all of the, I don't know if you call them the original, I guess, uh, Candyman series. Oh, you did. There, there's I the did. three, the three, I revisited all of them. Um, and I'll and how do you, you rank them. I want to, well, probably one, two, three. Okay. Easily. Uh, and I'll walk you guys through like my viewing order though. I actually started with number two uh because i've only seen that's called officially it's titled Candyman farewell to the flesh and i had actually only seen it once before 
like just a handful of years ago, probably within the last 10 years. And I remember being like, it's not as good as the first one, but I liked it. And then revisiting it again, I actually liked it less the second rewatch. Um, just because like a lot of the acting. Okay, first off, Tony Todd is the Candyman. He's amazing. He's great in every single movie. Like he commits to the character so much that like he's always the high point of each especially sure. the especially the sequels which are so inferior to the first one but in this second one like it just the acting most of the actors feel like they're in like a tv soap opera or something it was just so like not good like that's what struck me about like everyone other than tony todd i'm like so cheesy they decided to set that one in new orleans during like mardi gras so oh. uh ever like half the characters are doing bad uh, Louisiana accents, oh. uh, which is just like, that's a hard accent to imitate yeah. to begin with. Cause it's very, especially new Orleans, like a Cajun accent is very distinct. Uh, yeah. and there's a lot of people just failing to do that <laughs> in the movie, but like the, the two is okay. Like I gave it a two and a half on letterboxd. Uh, it's got some moments, some cool kills, some cool candy man stuff, but that one fleshes out like his backstory. Like it, okay. cements, it cements like an official, like this was his story and now he's a vengeful ghost, blah, blah, blah. Uh, three. Okay, so number two was like 95, I think when it came out. Then they did Candyman 3, Day of the Dead, um, which for some reason, and that one takes place in Los Angeles now. Uh, and is for some reason, they decided to put it in a Latino neighborhood and like use the Day of the Dead celebration as a back, because apparently they just keep picking holidays, I guess, for the sequels for some reason. And that one is just not good. I can't remember her name, but the lead in it was an actor from Baywatch. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, it feels very, that one was a straight to video. Uh, and as I watched it, I suddenly had like flashbacks to my childhood because 1999 is when it came out. It was on HBO all the time back then. So I remember seeing parts of it. Back, okay. back then they lay they leaned way more into you know the tna and uh just slasher ridiculous slasher killing a lot of bad acting and it has some fun moments of uh you know just bad moviness um but it's so like you can see why the franchise died right there for like over 20 years before <laughs> they're making this new one because yeah. it was just not a good sequel uh, again, Tony Todd is just fully committed, but it just looks cheap. And talk about getting transported back to the 90s. Felt very 90s in that they're like, it's a slasher movie, but we're going to like work in some soft core like stuff in there. Like that felt like a weird thing they liked to do Ew. back then. Yeah. And it just nothing works. And it's just weird. Um, so I think I gave that one a two, but honestly like one two what's the difference it's not a good movie only watch it if you're a completist uh and then i revisited the original saved the best for last to put that like clean taste back in your mouth that's right i needed the clean taste back in my mouth of how good it's a movie that the original Candyman. just every time i rewatch it i like it more like i rate it higher every time i see it because it seems to be a movie that i think is aging very well He's definitely like a, I mean, I think he's starting to become a bigger character. Like the character of the Candyman to me should be in the same breath, mentioned in the same breath as like Michael Myers, Jason, Freddy. Like it's a top tier horror character. Like he's so archetypal. Like it should just be, you know, he's a personification of an urban legend come to life. It's just, there's something so folkloric and mythic and powerful about what they're doing with that, especially in the original movie uh, that, yeah, highly recommended. Does Philip Glass do the score? Yes, and Philip oh, Glass is gorgeous. And it's honestly my all-time favorite movie score. I mean, or up there. Definitely top 5. Like, I think it would be second only to like the Star Wars movies for me like in just how amazing the, and memorable the film score is. So. Now, speaking of film scores, have you ever heard the Jurassic Park film score slow down like 400%? I think I have heard that before. It's like so gorgeous. Yeah. Oh my God. I love it. It's so pretty. And Virginia Matson is like so amazing in Candyman, right? That's the thing too. She's like, she is incredible in the lead. They just never got a lead up to like, I don't know. Just everything's firing on all cylinders for the most part. There's a couple moments of like cheesy looking special effects, but I can look past that because the rest of the package is so gorgeously done. Yeah. I need to rewatch it because 
I've never been like a huge fan. I I don't like. I'm not like. Ugh, everyone loves that movie, and I hate it. I'm just sort of like, yeah. I feel like it also just gets it because they tied it so strongly into just. It's a very American movie, and the character of the Candyman it just speaks so much to American culture because uh, they tied it into this history of racial violence uh, and like post Civil War history and urban existence. Like it just really has something to say that I think continues to echo through American society uh, as we continue on and still struggle to get past these same issues. Like the movie is definitely saying something maybe not as great because again, it was directed by a white director. Um, But I do feel like it was done tactfully enough and I'm excited to see somebody of color having directed the new uh, and producers of color having worked on the new movie and a woman uh, and a woman at that. So I'm excited to see where it goes. Like I really want to see this new one to see, do they take those strains from the first one that the original sequels just so slot, they try to do it. They keep trying to put in some commentary about, you know, racial inequality and violence and justice. uh, And it just feels so sloppily handled because it's like these cheapo horror sequels. Whereas the first, Felt like it had something important to say. I want to see. I hope this new one takes those threads and does something. Yeah, I'm hoping so too. God willing. Yeah, God willing. And that's my Candyman. If there is a God, let Candyman be good. Let it be good, please. Because I want, I feel like it's an idea that given to the right writers and people, you can just keep doing interesting things with it. Yeah. And you know what? We don't have any um, horrograms again this week. Terrograms, sorry. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. Write to us if you want. Scaringissharing at gmail.com. Follow us on the Insta, scaringissharing. And, um, you know, hit us up. We would like I, to hear from you. I do want to give a shout out. I saw on Instagram, uh, as he said, uh, my buddy Kyle from college, he said he was a couple weeks late, but he said since I requested people watch monster movies in honor of my birthday... Oh, yeah. Uh, he tagged uh, himself watching The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing. Because he oh, also nice. was like, thanks for the shout out on the um, the Apocalypse trilogy. He's like my movie marathon idea that I did. So he was watching The Thing the other night. So Kyle, you'll probably, he, you keep telling me you're like a few weeks behind usually. So you'll hear this next month. Oh, that's beautiful. Actually, <laughs> that made point. me think of, I have, well, we didn't get any telegrams. We did get some decent shout outs. I know. Um, a couple people thought asked if we were going to see when we posted our picture like what are we going to see mm-hmm. someone said oh i hope it's malignant or Candyman." and malignant doesn't malignant am i saying that right yeah malignant uh that doesn't come out f- until september 10th so while i wish we were yeah. somehow able we got to a minute secure that because i i've now that trailer has happened three times and i've successfully closed my eyes and i know enough about it it sounds just like so many other movies mm-hmm out there but my friend peggy left a post on our night house episode um, on facebook my post that i did about it she said i finally subscribed i will spend my weekend catching up on episodes but had to hop in here to tell you that hobo with a shotgun is fun to watch jeremy and i totally watch the same stuff good so thanks peggy yeah that's uh, exciting that's, that's right hobo with a shotgun fucking rocks so people should check that one out if you missed it uh it's like a great trauma-esque movie so and i wish there was a sequel to that that's what it left me thinking because it's a movie that does well actually no i should say the actual cut of the movie like it just ends and the story's over but there was a deleted like extra ending that you can pull up on the internet that like left on youtube you can find it like the original deleted ending uh left it open to a sequel and i wish they made another one hobo with a pistol Hobo with a water gun. Hobo with a chainsaw. <laughs> no, actually, what they did it could have been a cool like way to continue a universe you built. It was uh, a totally different character, but she survives to the end and is in a new situation. And they could have used her for the sequel, which would have been cool to see. So okay, which would have gone off in I'm sure other territory. But yeah, check it out. Hobo with a shotgun. Well, we're back to a normal episode this week. Shall we share our scares with each other? We should. Uh, Who goes first this time? So since we haven't been doing it this way for a while, and if you're listening for the first time or whatever, Jeremy and I each week, uh, traditionally on like a a normal episode, will assign a movie to the other person that that person has never seen before. And then we come back and we talk about them. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can go first this week. I don't know where we are, but you go first. I'll go first. And mine is a little bit, uh, again, we say normal episode, but this is still kind of special because we're doing something unique for this. True. Uh, He knew ahead of, uh, Brandy Joe knew ahead of time. 
what I was going to give him because we had to coordinate this, but uh, I am assigning the movie The Cabinet of Dr. Calgary, uh, which we are going to see a screening of together later today after we're done recording at Planet Ant itself, at the theater itself in Hamtramck. Yes, we are a part of Planet Ant Podcasts, and I think it's their first thing back. Yes, their first like their first event since the the pandemic started so yeah uh, so that's very special yep and it's going to be with a live musician playing music accompanying the movie since it's a silent film i hope they have calamari because i if it's the the cabinet of dr calamari i mean i love calamari (laughs) the cabinet of dr calamari (laughs) so I don't know much about it. I, I mean, I think it's a silent film since there's like music there. I'm that's mm-hmm. I know it's from like the twenties or late teens or whatever, the late aughts of the nineteen mm-hmm. hundreds. But um I imagine there's a mad scientist. I all I know of it is like there's the picture that they've been advertising with Plant Ant, but even there I feel like it's a man and a woman like standing there. So I feel like there it's going to be there's a, like you know a woman's in love with a mad scientist who his cravings for the unknown drive him mad and she's like but just love me <laughs> and he goes mad trying to I mean of course I was going like Frankenstein um Mm-hmm. trying to that he has something that that he's trying to manifest like a I, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> That's sure. what I'm going with. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think I, I since you enjoyed like Nosferatu when we watched that, if I recall, I think you'll get enjoyment out of this as well because, you know, the silent films of the era and time are s- similar. Do you think the music, since Planet Ant is sort of known for being like real hip and cool, like you know, yeah. they're, they're really in on like the, the youth scene and such. They're very, very cool. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if the music's going to be like fun and electronic as opposed to like, if you were to see this at the Redford Theater, it would be like someone playing an organ. Yeah, that's kind of the idea I get because I looked up, I, I'm sorry, I don't have my phone on me and I can't look up the guy's name right now but i saw that the the musician that is playing with this he has like a world record for the longest guitar solo oh uh, where he played like for over a day or so straight i guess which sounds crazy but yeah i think it's going to be some kind of like more like rock music based or like electronic kind of score instead of just a normal like piano or organ or even orchestral david dianato there you go. That's who it's, who's doing it. I looked at his Bandcamp website earlier, and it, yeah, it's a lot of interesting, weird, like experimental sounding stuff. So I think it'll be, I think it'll be a score. Like I, I'm used to seeing this movie. Like I have a Blu-ray of Doctor Calgary that, of course, just has like a normal orchestra accompaniment to it. Sure. So, so I think this will be different and a little wild to see it this way. And special. It's gonna and be special. special. It's gonna be cool. So. Yeah, awesome. Well, I can't wait. All right. So what are you giving me? I'm going to give you, I've been wanting to give this to you for a while, but it just didn't feel, felt too close to some other things we'd done. So I'm giving you The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Oh, okay. Uh, I know that this, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, I know this is a, I believe it's a Dario Argento movie. I think. I believe it's one of those Italian, I think it's a giallo. Uh, technically or falls into the giallo category but i really don't know much about it other than i've heard the title a lot as like an all-time great you know italian horror thriller or whatever uh and since i'm guessing it's a giallo based on the title because they all have weird titles like the scorpion stings at midnight and stuff (laughs) like that that are like Largely nonsensical in English, but blood sound and pretty. black lace. Yeah, they sound pretty. I think the title has nothing to do really with the movie. Um, maybe there will be some birds that appear in it, like a peacock or something. But I think largely, yeah, it's going to be women in peril with a masked killer killing them, uh, and then like a detective trying to figure out what's going on. And then the twist will be like the killer was somebody we knew all along, like always happens or whatever. So that's what I think it's about. Well, cool. I'm excited right. to rewatch it. I haven't watched it since I was a kid. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. It's been a long time. Yeah. Well, let's do it. Yeah, let's fucking do it. We'll be back to talk about these shortly. See you. Stay tuned. Sid, don't you blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative.
we're back. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. I don't know where I was going with that, but it required a deep inhale. <laughs> it's good I to deeply inhale. You know, something that they like is like a, a very common sort of thing to be said is like, you know, if you're feeling stressed out or whatever, just like take five deep breaths or three deep breaths. I can't remember which one it is. But like when you actually take the time to do that, it truly does help. And there's some chemistry to it. Like the mm -hmm. oxygen gets to your brain and it relaxes your muscles or some bullshit. But yeah. I find it actually works. It's just one of those things where you're like, oh yeah, yeah. Breathing's gonna calm me down. Yeah, right. But yeah. It, it yeah. does. I feel like it's in the movies when they like throw water on somebody's face when they're hysterical <laughs> and somehow that like, always calms them down and also have you ever smelled smelling salts like no but i hear they smell horrendous i know i haven't either i imagine that they smell like the stinkiest socks yeah i had i've i've known people that have used them and yeah they just smell they apparently just smell like shit from what i understand <laughs> like really bad so so i was like oh that's probably why it wakes you up or whatever or they smell like fish speaking of let's talk about our first movie calamari Calamari, the cabinet of Dr. Calamari. I feel like that would be like a SpongeBob episode about this. Oh my God, that would be great. Um, but yeah, so guys, as you know, I was going to say, of course, Brandy Joe, long time no see, because I just saw you a few days ago in person <laughs> over the weekend. Because as we said, we went to Planet Ant, the theater itself in Hamtramck, Michigan. Uh, you know, our mothership, our parent yes. uh, organization that we are part of the network. They just had their first live show since you know a year and a half ago when they had to shut down the theater and it was a screening of the cabinet of dr caligari with a live music accompaniment from uh david diodanto di donato di donato uh, david sorry that we're messing up your name <laughs> if you ever hear this uh, or Didonado. Maybe it's Didonado. <laughs> he was good. That's what I'll say. It was it was cool. He was a good, you know, he played some guitar. I'm assuming those were some pre-recorded tracks in there too. He had playing, had to be, because not all that music was just coming from his guitar. Um, right. But I think he did all the music. But he composed it all. So it was yeah. it was very interesting. Uh anyway, so the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, or in German, Das Cabinet des Dr. Caligari. Oh, that's uh, hot. Hmm. Uh, is came out in 1920. So this movie is 101 years old this year. Wow. Yeah, uh, that's crazy. And letterboxed, so the tagline is, you must become Caligari. <laughs> uh, and the description is, Francis, a young man, recalls in his memory the horrible experiences he and his fiancee Jane recently went through. Francis and his friend Alan visit the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, an exhibit where the mysterious doctor shows this somnomb somnambulist Cesare and awakens him for some moments from his death-like sleep. I want to point out real quick, I have no idea how to say the name of the sleepwalker because everyone fucking says it different in any video I've ever seen. Uh, I like I always... how the woman said it. And yeah, the... so... So I've always thought it was Caesar, and that's what I've heard a lot of people say it as is Caesar. And she said it Cesare. Cesare, and I've also I loved had, that. I've also heard Cesare oh. uh, as a version of it. So I don't know what's right. I bet you they're all probably technically correct, depending on like the language <laughs> you're, you know, whatever language you're using. Um, but yeah, that's uh, in the thing we saw, the screening we saw. Part of the pre-recorded tracks, there was this woman's voice uh, that was. Because he used the German title cards. It was still the original German title cards. And then there was this woman's voice saying it in English. Uh, and she said Cesare as the, ex the uh, pronunciation. So I thought that was cool. But anyway, impressions. I've seen this movie a number of times. What did you think for your first screening? You know, I found it a little rough. And not like I didn't, like I, I appreciate it. I don't know that I liked it. I don't know that I like want to see it again, mm -hmm. but like, I'm not going to like diss it and say like that was a piece of crap because I'm sure like if you break it all down, the influences, like it was so Tim Burton-esque, like it just sure. feels like, like Tim Burton's whole career is based off of this movie. It, I, it really is. Cause I was sitting there like, so there are references to this movie in Tim Burton, like Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands, 
his two Batman movies, like all of those reference this movie. Yes. So Cesare was a hundred percent Edward Scissorhands. Yes, absolutely. Doctor Caligari is his version of the Penguin in Batman Returns. A hundred percent. Same character design. I also thought, like, as we were watching it, I was like, oh, if I really love this movie, I would want to be Dr. Caligari for Halloween someday. And then it ended and I was like, oh, my God, thank God it's over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just, I didn't, it just, uh, and you know, part of the, and I don't think that, you know, if this had been different, that my experience would be a whole lot different but the title cards like killed me like i wanted that like so, i guess like i was feeling impatient and they'd come up and they would be like in german and it had this really cool font like they looked neat but then like it was just this one woman like speaking the dialogue mm -hmm. but sometimes like you'd have to hang out looking at this german font for it, what felt like forever before she started talking to sort of like make the timing of how long we were on the card yes appropriate and it was driving me crazy i really just wanted the english subtitles or i wanted there to be people with different voices or something it was just like this one woman with this sort of ghostly voice that every once in a while would come in and say cesare i don't know whatever she'd say Did That's this, I yeah remember. <laughs> i actually like i had the same issue with the way that the screening was done uh in that i'm like man it flows better, I feel, if you used English title cards. So were you to ever revisit this, not that you would, but if you ever revisit this, I would recommend finding a copy that's got the English translations. Uh, and I feel like that would flow better. Uh, and, and not any added voices talking. Yeah, and I, I truly feel like it must have added like seven minutes onto it, like the additional time we just sat there, yes. like waiting for something to happen. And that was just like, I just felt impatient for it. Mm-hmm. And I just like, I didn't fully understand what, like, I didn't know until later when I like looked it up what that one long word is that you said, the S word. It's essentially oh, a sleepwalker. Yeah. Some somnambulist, somnambulist. Yeah. So, like, I'm like, I don't understand what the fuck that is. Yeah. So it's there a was fancy lots of word for sleepwalking and frustration in watching it. So, maybe a second watch would be in order for me to appreciate it more. Mm -hmm. um, but I definitely saw like, this must have some heavy influences and things like that. Like I felt stylistically, like it definitely wasn't realistic, which was kind of cool. It even like, I was like, it would be cool if it had some sort of a twist ending and then it does. Yeah. Like it, which I didn't expect. Like, I didn't think that sort of thing happened until much later in life. Yeah, and, no. and, you know, cin cinematic history, but there's this sort of twist ending. But because I was so sure there wasn't going to be one, I didn't know that I fully understood it. Like, I think I did, but I just wasn't 100% sure. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I liked a lot of it. I thought it was cool to have the, the, um, the live musician there. I, I also went into it feeling like my predisposition was feeling bad for him because there were only 10 people in the theater. And so I felt bad that they had this musician come in who's done all this work. And then there's 10 of us <laughs> there to watch yeah. it. Like, yeah. so I already was like feeling bad and like, not like guilty because I was there, but mm. there was just like this feeling of like, oh man, I wish there were more people here because there's this person who's put all this work into creating this score. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, maybe he doesn't care, but like I was, uh, like sort of putting that on him on my own like soul yeah and he was dressed like shaggy from scooby-doo which i thought was <laughs> i thought that was really cool <laughs> so i'm gonna put that out there and they said like that they had done a, a screening of metropolis a few years mm -hmm. ago and he had done this exact same thing for that and then he also had i think a dvd that had this metropolis and nosferatu that he also did the scores for in this similar mm -hmm. sort of way which i just think is so cool so like afterwards when they said that i was like oh well maybe he just like really likes doing this and it's not like he did it for this one performance he did no. it anyway and then showed up to like play along with his score yeah and I mean, what he did was great, but I was really thinking I was coming in and there was going to be someone literally playing the only score I heard. And it really was like the score was sort of imprinted on the print we listened to. And then he kind of like played along in the background. Mm -hmm. And I was like just thinking it was going to be like this live sort of like, like as if there was an organ on. Yeah. More improv yeah. improvisation seeming like. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it, like, I, I thought he was awesome. Like the music he did was so cool and definitely different than you would get watching this on YouTube or whatever. I just was expecting a sort of different um, interpretation of how it was going to be done. But that was definitely the coolest part about it. I thought was mm -hmm. the music. How many times have you seen this? I've probably seen this like half a dozen times or more in varying qualities too, because you know, being a hundred year old movie in the public domain, you can find a million different rips and versions and prints of it with different music of different quality. Like there was moments in this one we were watching that looked like they were in color almost, or like the tones were very close to like true color. Yeah. If it was uh, day or night, like if it was night, it'd be like straight up black and white. Mm -hmm. And then like, if it was daytime, there'd be like a, a sepia tone over. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not sure I've seen that print before maybe, but uh, cause I've seen, you know, the true, just everything's in black and white, depending on how they, mastered the print or where they struck it from. Um, but yeah, I've seen this like a half a dozen times. This is a film you definitely study in any, if you are a film major in college, you will which study you this movie, which I was, you will study this movie multiple times in different classes. Um, this, is, this is the German expressionism film. Like when you study, you know, the art movement of German expressionism, the film component, this movie's probably the greatest uh, example of it. And it's like fully indulging it's uh, uh, motifs and styles and ideas, which, you know, you can tell because you watching this movie, there are no real sets, quote unquote. They constructed everything and it looks weird and not realistic and crazy. And that was the point of expressionism. Unlike Nosferatu, which is also a German expressionist film, but it, it, uh, not, Nosferatu doesn't indulge as greatly in the stylistic uh, things that, uh, Caligari does. I also noticed uh, with this rewatch, I feel like Nosferatu, because th that's like my comparison is th those two movies sure. together. Nosferatu is a little more watchable, I feel like, and moves. It's better paced, I feel, comparing these two. This movie, like you said, it's only like 70 something minutes long, but it feels a lot longer because it doesn't have consistent action the way I feel like Nosferatu kind of clips along uh, at a faster pace and has some more stuff, action going on, I suppose. Yeah, and Nosferatu has some like genuinely creepy scenes and mm -hmm. he's just so creepy. And here there isn't any creep factor. It, there's a weirdness factor. Yes, there's definitely a surrealness to it. Yes, but not anything like creepy. And like once I discovered what that word meant, the sleepwalker word, essentially, I'm like, oh, that's like Charlotte Corday and Marat Saad, which she that's like essentially what she is. And then all sort of things kind of clicked into place on like what was actually happening here, because they if you don't know that word, you're just kind of like, is this a corpse? Like, what the fuck is? Yeah. <laughs> like I was very confused and you know maybe it is something that someday i should rewatch. just having one under my belt maybe the second watch will yeah play a little differently i'm not like anxiously awaiting that day but no. i think it could happen and it probably wouldn't be a bad idea for me and to I, do that i think these old movies like this too that um again i'm i'm like not watching this to be riveted by the story of course so like it's the art like this is a piece of art and history. So you're kind of watching it with different eyes anyway. Uh, and so rewatches, I think will give you different appreciations for things, not necessarily like, because this acting style is so foreign to us now. Uh, for example, that, you know, it, it's hard to judge and critically look at the, their, you know, the way a silent film is acted out and those sorts of things. So and it would be so weird because sometimes like on the screen, you see them like talking and it will cut to a title card and then you'll see what they're saying. And then sometimes they'd be on there talking and then there'd be no card. And I'm like, yeah, what the, f I don't understand what this method is here. Yeah. <laughs> like, are we not supposed to know what they're saying or are we? I don't, yeah. I don't understand. I think times like that are supposed to be like left here or you're supposed to be able to tell from the body language. They're like, oh, let's go have a good time. Like when, you know, stuff like that. It's like those kind of moments I've noticed where they don't do a title card. So we're like, okay, we're just supposed to insert our own. Like they're yucking it up together right now or whatever in those moments. So 
So this movie is, you mentioned, is extremely, extremely old, but I want to talk a little spoilery here real fast. So if you mm-hmm. don't want to know, just, um, you know, hit that forward 30 seconds yeah. a few times. But also I'd like to say you've had a hundred fucking years to watch this movie, <laughs> literally. So, But I, I had no idea. So when it starts and the guy's in like the courtyard talking to the other guy and the girl walks by, like he's already in like the mental asylum and he's yeah. there he's and a he's talking to this guy. And then everything we see, it's sort of like, you sort of see it like drift back in time mm-hmm. that's all just in his fucking head yeah and then that's we get all to the, his so story just the whole thing is just in his head the whole thing was his story yeah and he's actually a patient at the asylum just telling a crazy yarn okay yep that's I, essentially I what the twist pretty is sure supposed essentially, to be it's a little unclear but like i gathered that's what it was but mm-hmm. i wasn't a hundred percent so I was kind of like, okay, I think I got, but I just, I was really surprised that that's where it went just because it seems like such a modern sort of um, thing to do mm-hmm. in cinema to have that sort of like, it was all in his head. Like I just was shocked that it's, yeah, that, that they goes did back that. to like yeah. 1920. Another thing that struck me on this watch too, is just like how cool, like you said, there's no real like genuinely scary moments, but there's a lot of great, weird images especially all of the close-ups of cesare's face or caligari or there's the scenes of cesare in like the dark where he's a shadow like goth boy up against the wall that was Uh, fucking cool i actually forgot about that that one that was probably the closest we came to like a a genuinely eerie scene yeah because he just was sort of like the babadook just like yeah he's creeping along the wall spread out yeah that was that was actually really fucking weird i forgot all about that and he's he's your original goth boyfriend uh cesare so a hundred percent yeah and i thought it was fine yeah I mean, it's what it is. It is what it is. So, um, like, but my description, I said, like, a woman's in love with a mad scientist. That wasn't really the case. But I said, you're kind of right with like a mad, he's sort of a mad scientist. And his cravings for the unknown drive him mad. And she's like, just love me. That really didn't happen. Um, but that he goes mad trying to manifest something. It's all, there's like hints of what I, estimated. There's little threads of what you said, whispers, if you will. Yes. That's so fine. out of five uh carnival attractions cabinets if you will uh with sleepwalkers in them uh somnambulists uh how many do you give it you know i'm gonna give it three i was gonna give it two and a half but i just like after talking through it it does give me that little extra like all right i should watch it again and so i'm gonna give it three i'm gonna give okay. it three carnival cabinets after this watch, um, I did originally this have this on my letterbox at like a five when I like threw it on there, but I'm dropping it down to a four um, just because comparing it to like Nosferatu, I think Nosferatu is a, a much more watchable movie of the silent era. For sure. Uh, and I, this watch, I don't know. It was just a little slow for me. So I'm like, I don't think this is quite a five-star movie. I might get my my film nerd credentials revoked right now because I did not give this movie five stars. But I'm going to say four stars. No, that's totally cool. And Oh, you know what that means? Scare of approval. It was almost a split screen, but ultimately with that raising it up half of a star or half of a cat carnival cabinet carnival cabinet we have a scare of approval which i i feel like if i didn't say that this you know people would be like wow i'm not listening to your podcast anymore because you gave dr calamari two and a half stars (laughs) you gave it two and a half stars you are not cultured and you don't know (laughs) shit is what people would say so but i was prepared to but i my mind has changed and you know what that's 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 the way life is you never know (laughs) that's life life. Life is fluid, it flows, it changes, it ebbs, and there we are. That's right. That's as as Frankie, old Frankie Blue Eyes himself said, that's life. So get that's used to right. it, people. All right, well, let's jump forward 50 years to 1970 for The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Ah, uh, yes. I'm not going to read the letterbox summary because it is like two paragraphs long. I looked it so, up. It's a million. Why is it so, so big? I'm going to read the IMDb one, which is much more su- succinct. Good. Um, but the tagline is a stunning portrait in psycho terror! Exclamation point. 
An American expatriate in Rome witnesses an attempted murder that is connected to an ongoing killing spree in the city, and despite himself and his girlfriend being targeted by the killer, he conducts his own investigation. That's pretty much it. Yeah. This is the blueprint for Jalo movies. Like this is the this is and even more so, this is the blueprint for Dario Argento's entire career. Like, this is the first movie he directed. Uh, and I'm watching this thing, and the whole time I'm like, he will go on to just do multiple permutations of this exact same movie, uh, maybe inject some supernatural element or some science fiction element or whatever. But it's essentially the same movie every time he does a giallo, just adding, building on top of, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I think that's kind of cool that he keeps referring to like the same motif over and over science fiction what's science fiction uh in deep red there's the weird little uh robot puppet guy walking oh, yeah. around yeah inexplicably like the little okay. clockwork robot i would say that's science fiction because you're like why the fuck does this guy have a little robot doll man running around <laughs> but, uh yeah so he would just you know keep adding more bizarre weird elements on top of because this movie's already pretty bizarre like it's a giallo like, I feel like this owed a huge debt to Blood and Black Lace. Just switch some totally. stuff around. Uh, and then add in, like, lots of rando weird characters. Like, I'm going to go talk to this painter for a minute who painted who a picture. Cats. Who eats cats that <laughs> painted a picture the killer, like, took or liked or something. Like, I read somebody else's letterboxed review that's like, yeah, he adds a lot of characters that aren't even red herrings. They're just there to have a weird character to, to like, flesh out the world which is kind of cool it's world building but yeah this movie was like pretty straightforward is everything i thought i would get out of an argento giallo i even had the nonsensical ending that was just like oh yep the twist you can never see coming because the movies don't follow their own internal logic like there's no right the point of it is not to understand the mystery it's just to be surprised when they're like it was this person even though it kind of doesn't make any sense but (laughs) who cares yeah i saw this movie because I remember there was this special on USA when I was a kid called Women in Horror. Hmm. And I tried to find it yesterday on like YouTube. Mm -hmm. But of course, you put in Women in Horror and there's a gazillion things that pop up. But Mm -hmm. I remember some very vivid things about it. I remember that was the first time I ever heard the flower duet from Lockme, which is like the if you heard it, you would know exactly what it is. It's sort of like it's a an opera operatic duet between these two ladies. Mm-hmm. And I remember that. And I remember that there were clips from like the um the lair of the white worm, which I've never seen. And that there me either, some... but I know that's a yeah supposed to be a cool movie. Yeah, I don't know that I like it, but someday we should mm-hmm. watch it. Um, and Hellraiser and this, those are like the three very vivid things I remember from it. And so one of the video stores I would rent from the one inside of the IGA, which is a grocery store out in Wyoming. Oh, wow. I remember that they had some really bizarre horror movies and this was one of them. And the poster I remember really vividly, which if you look up the poster, it doesn't come up. But if you put in VHS along with Bird with the Crystal Plumage, it pops up. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching it and liking it. But this go around, I man, that first hour was rough. And then I came back to it later to finish it. And I thought the last half hour was actually a lot better. But Mm -hmm. the first hour, I was just like, oh, my God, (laughs) it just does so rough. It does drag a lot. Like watching this, I was just like, can we pick up the pace? Can something happen? Like as much as I enjoy the world he's making, like for when you actually get to like a character moment or this guy just kind of like putzing around (laughs) to roam this American writer that's just like, I'm a broke writer and I got nothing to do but solve this murder (laughs) history I walked into. Um, But yeah, it drags from like getting from set piece to set piece a little bit. Because at least Blood and Black Lace, that's what that was called, right? Yeah, yes. At least that stylistically was like visually colorful yes. and stunning. Yes. And the deaths were a little more creative. Like there was like a little bit more excitement to it. And here it's all a little bland in comparison to that. Mm-hmm. So I don't find it as exciting to watch as visually interesting. I do find the lead guy very hot. He's very like Damien Karras from The Exorcist, like just 
so hot, but he's not got hot that... enough to like make me want to like watch it. He's got that seventies, oh, uh, you know, yes. vibe, daddy. Surely, is this the VHS? Yes, that. That is very creepy looking. That's cool. It is. It's so creepy. And like, the thing that pissed me off the most is the scene with his wife, Julia, where she's getting attacked. And she's like so badass at first. I mean, she sees the killer and she screams and she Mm -hmm. goes in, but then she locks all the locks. She puts a thing in front of the door, but then she just keeps screaming and falling around. And I'm like, fight back. Like Mm -hmm. even when she does, she only kind of half-ass does. And then she falls on the ground and cries some more. I'm like, can you please like have a strong female in here? Besides, you know who? Like, can we please have like, have her kick some ass i just wanted julia to like kick some butt and then she just turns into this you know damsel in distress yep because it's this stupid guy who's directing this you know yep so that annoyed me i was gonna say too i was wrong that the title has nothing to do with the story this time around it actually does because the bird with the crystal plumage is the apparently a nickname for the type of bird that they hear in the phone call uh, in the background where they're like, we got to go to the zoo or whatever. Cause that's where that's where species of bird that we know it is, is at. So. Yeah. And the, in the IMDb trivia, it says the first installment of Argento's animal trilogy, which is birth of crystal plumage, cat o' nine tails and the four flies on gray velvet flies are not an animal. <laughs> they're an insect. So that annoyed me. <laughs> yeah. And I've, I think I've seen cat o' nine tails. Um, I feel like it's a movie that I lost in a haze of like drunkenly passing out watching it, but like I vaguely recall it. So I think I've seen it before uh, many in my college years. So, Um, but yeah, this one totally slipped by me. I don't know how, I I guess I'm not that, I haven't seen a lot of Argento when I sit down and think about it. Like I start reading his filmography and what he's directed and I'm like, wow, I've only seen like a few of these. Like he's a big blind spot for me. I definitely like his weirder stuff. Yeah. And I haven't seen all of it, but like I love Suspiria and I love Creepers slash Phenomena. Like those mm-hmm. two are the other ones. Well, Creepers I saw when I was little because I loved Labyrinth. And then when I saw Jennifer Conley was in this. Yeah. And that might have been in that women of horror thing as well. Cause there were some scenes from that that made me go out and rent the movie, which I knew was Creepers as a kid. Yeah. Um, but I love that just because it's so fucking weird and just bizarro compared to so much of the other stuff I was watching. Whereas this just feels like a not as exciting slasher. And yeah. I know, like, I don't know. I, I guess I'm, it's definitely the first Giallo I ever saw before I even ever knew what that was. I loved the music that was like, la la. <laughs> like, keep wanting <laughs> to go to the Poltergeist theme. But yeah. I didn't like the other music that was sort of that, like, 60s jazzy nonsense i Mm -hmm. did not like that yeah this was i was surprised to see uh music by uh enio uh morricone uh famous italian film composer who did like a hundred million fucking movies uh and the music of all of the great italian westerns the spaghetti westerns like the good the bad and the ugly uh you know once upon a time in the West, all that all the westerns with their distinct themes if you hear it, you know it, um, music. So uh, he did the music. Uh, and it kind of makes sense that it's so like all over the place because he was very diverse as a composer. He would do jazz numbers. He could do, like we said, the weird choral, <laughs> like la, 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 almost like Rosemary's Baby yes, kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah, so he was very, very um, eclectic in what he could write musically. Some guitar stuff, you know. It's interesting. So do with this as you will. And if you want to skip ahead, I'm going to talk a little spoilery here, a little like who the killer is. So we know when the guy jumps out the window, he says he's the killer. And we find like they sort of say in the end that he was trying to like protect his wife from being caught, found out or whatever. Sure. But like, are we supposed to believe that she was that voice and all the phone calls, which was like obviously a man? Yeah, I guess right? so. And she did like every murder because they were talking about it's like a killing spree across town. Like she did everything. Like, I don't know. And then also she was the woman in the painting. Yeah, I guess so. But she lived and instead of like being a victim, she turned into a killer. 
Yes. Right? That was sort of that psycho. That was kind of up. the psycho babble at the end where they're just like, she was attacked. So that made her a killer. And then she started killing. And her husband was desperate to be like, it's so just not. <laughs> it shows no understanding of like psychology or anything. It was just a total. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he was clearly just rambling to wrap up the movie at the end. It just, this made me appreciate Knife plus Heart so much more. Not that I didn't already like it, but it's mm-hmm. just, it's genuinely creepy. It there It's a little confounding and like, you don't really know what everything means. But in that movie, I'm like, okay with it because it doesn't try to explain itself. Yeah. In this and movie. these movies, like they try to over explain things. And to that, the point that you're just like, just shut up. Yeah, exactly. And this is again his first directorial effort, so I feel like that that disappears over time, and then you get movies like Deep Red uh, or uh, Tenebre, Tenebre, however you say that title, like that are very confounding with some of the logical leaps they make. But the movie does not try to explain itself to you, uh, so you're like, well, it just is what it is. It's just weird, and <laughs> you have to deal with it. Yeah, and again. Like Dr. Caligari, I feel like, well, there's like an amount of respect that should go into this for yeah, the fact that how, it was like the first one. That's how of I his feel films too. and where he went and and one of the original giallos aside from, you know, Blood and Black Lace and that sort of thing. So I go back and forth. I'm like, well, but that doesn't mean I have to like it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That 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 it was kind of like too uh, when I went on Letterboxd, like it's got great ratings from like all the users, like all these other horror nerd people on Letterboxd that I follow are all giving it like five stars, and I'm like, really? Did you want like this is not like a Citizen Kane first movie. This is like you know you can tell it's somebody's first movie as a director before they develop into the voice they're going to. So yeah, well, out of five cat steaks. Mm, cat steak <laughs> how many do you give it uh, oh i'm gonna be a little bit generous here i'll give it a three and a half. Oh my i'm gonna give it a three i'm just gonna be a straight up three this week cool but that means we have another scare of approval i think it's worth checking out yeah i mean just, there's just, some decent scenes yeah as a as a curio as as a horror both of these movies as the amateur horror historians, I imagine you all are, you should probably see these just to have seen them. If you haven't already. If you haven't them, already. Put them in your hat and smoke them. I don't yeah, think that's, that's right. how that phrase goes. But. Shh, put it in your pipe and smoke it. Uh, that's what you need to do with these. So, Yep. And they might both be very good stoned if, if that is a thing you do. So yeah. So go for it. Do Do it, people. Well, thanks for listening. Of course, write to us, scaringissharing at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram. We're just a few followers away from a thousand followers, which Oh yeah, come great. on guys. So, help help us jump over. If, there, if there's somebody that's not yeah. somebody's not following, get on there and fix it for us. Scaring is sharing. We put pictures of ourselves when we go do things, which is happening more and more frequently. Um, and we also like to put gifts and um, occasionally funny things, but more so just gifts from the movie we watch, except for yeah. when it's the night house, because there's not very many of them. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's, that's okay. Cause that's we okay. can, we can move on from that movie and support planet ant. It was so exciting to go back there. It's a great facility, a great, venue ghost light bar check it out if you haven't already they are back in business and check out the other podcasts on the planet ant network uh throw some support out there tell them scaring and sharing sent you that's right and remember to hail paymon and drink psl if that's what you do <laughs> and remember guys death to videodrome long live the new flesh and keep watching those scary movies because scaring is sharing. Bye. Scaring is sharing. 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 This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast.